Welcome to the School of ICT Conversation Bites podcast. I'm Tessa, here to bring you bite-sized personal stories, latest research and career advice from the talented people in our Griffith University School of ICT community. In this episode, we have a conversation with James Baker, a seasoned tutor at Griffith School of ICT. We chat about his personal struggles with learning to code, advice for first years finding their feet and some of the interesting freelance work he has done. Welcome, James. Hello, thank you. Thank you so much for having a conversation today. We'll start right at the start. How long have you been at Griffith and what brought you here? So as a staff member, I've been here for since 2017. So five years, this will be the sixth year. I did a Bachelor of Multimedia from 2011 to 2015. Mm-hmm. I then went off and did a lot of web freelancing. I came back to do half an IT degree, take a couple of extra coding subjects, uh, including systems programming that I wanted to do, but wasn't able to as a multimedia student. I also pr- was aware I probably wouldn't have been able to cope with it at the time. Systems programming is a lot. Then I also did half, so I did an extra half an IT degree and a half of a graphic design degree before dropping both of them on top of my multimedia degree sporadically. Oh. Yeah, I have a, basically I took my multi-degree and went, what if I did more of half of everything? <laughs> Make <laughs> yeah. myself even more of an all-rounder. Cool, sounds like um, quite a serious workload at that time. Yes, it was. But freelancing also does let you massage when the hours are to some degrees. Yeah. That's one of the advantages of freelance is I got to control my hours. The downside is while you have a client for the month, you have a client for the month and they mm-hmm. are going to expect... You can control how many total hours you're going to have in a month, but clients are going to expect you to contact them and react to them in a relatively quick time frame. But that wasn't too bad to manage. Yeah, right. Okay. So what do you do now? You're a sessional... F- I'm a sessional tutor for a school of ICT for creative coding, web technologies. I have also tutored software technologies. I have also tutored at UQ. Yeah, okay. So tutoring a lot of first-year courses. Yes. What would you say are kind of the big tips for um, new students coming in for their first year? So for first-year students, a lot of it is building effective study habits. I think there's a lot of discussion about discipline. I don't think discipline is the right word for a first year. First years often have a lot of, you've just out of high school, there's lots to do, lots of excitement. Discipline frames in a way where you need to have lots of willpower when you suddenly got the whole world opening up to you in a lot of ways. And that's not, I don't think that's a very effective way of discussing it. Speaking of someone who I still feel I have very low discipline, I have low willpower. I'm very, I have ADD, I have uh, autism, attention deficit disorder, generalized anxiety. I am not great at controlling my impulses. But what I do is I design my environments and the, my, um, my days in a way where rather than me having to resist temptations, the temptations are not there to be resisted. Mm. So I use tools like, um, what's it called now? There's like NG leech block or something that will block certain sites on my uh, browsers. So I cannot access those sites in certain work hours. I often recommend my students should try and leverage their friends. So I often recommend first years should consider if there's someone who games a lot, talking to their friends saying, look, can you just make sure whenever we go to play a game, ask me if I have done 20 minutes work for the day, yeah. not hours. Hours is too much. That means they'll go, you want it to be that if you say, no, I haven't done what I asked you to check me for doing. If it's 20 minutes, the student can go, you know, 20 minutes is not that long to wait. Yeah. So they can go do 20 minutes of work. Gotcha. And it maintains that habit. If you tell them, no, don't talk to me unless I've gotten my assignment done, you're not going to get the assignment done. Yeah, totally. And then, you're, and then your friends are going to have to pick between not seeing you at all for the day or not keeping you honest. Whereas if it's a 20-minute window, that's small. And if it's 20 minutes and you start and it's going well, you might go, actually, play one more round without me. I'm actually getting somewhere. Yeah. It's trying to create effective 
habits because I, I find especially first years but in general i find a lot of people flow a lot like water mm. the path of least resistance is where they're going to go so you need to structure your life in a way where the path of least resistance is effective study yeah other things i often recommend is coming into uni to study because your distractions are at home mm-hmm. if the students had money you would suggest setting up in a different room but realistically these are students they're not going to be like, oh, yes, I have a study room spare that I will set up a work environment <laughs> <I wish>. for. <laughs> yeah, it's just not the reality. Yeah. That's, that's a general focus, I would say, for first years is finding ways to remove opportunities to make bad decisions. Yeah. Because if you have those opportunities, you'll you probably do it. You'll probably do it because you get human. tired. It's Study's not fun. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's some really, really good strategies, the, you know, 20-minute block and making, yeah, having It's all about trying to make, it's, it's yeah. All, yeah, it's got to be accountable and in ways that are meaningfully doable, mm. otherwise you'll stop doing it before the habit's formed. Yeah. Because always, everyone's done the, oh, well, I, you know, I'm only going to, I'm going to watch all my lectures on this day every time and they're going, I'm going to do all this work and then mm. you don't do any of it because it's too big. You want to keep it small and targetable because a lot of times once you start, it's easier to keep going. Yeah. Like one of the things I push my coding students for a lot is like highly encourage them rather than trying to do one giant day of code. Let's say they're spending the 10 to 12 hours of creative coding probably actually does need per week. Yeah. Um, rather than just saying that, it's like, no, it really does kind of need that time per week. I often recommend people sp- spread that out over multiple days. If they're doing mm. an hour or two every day of the week, they will get far more done. Yeah, and something that it is tiring to do that work. So yeah. your, your first hour is going to be very different to your 10th hour. Exactly. For sure. If a student is falling behind and perhaps struggling a bit as a sessional, what's something that so, they can come to you with? So often what I have told students to do who are falling behind is, so I'm often quite comfortable with students staying between multiple of my classes. Um, the students who are falling behind, I have found who've recovered. Because unfortunately with coding, it's all so interweaved. Usually if someone's falling behind, it's actually not that week's content that's the problem. It's two weeks ago's content because it's all mm-hmm. building a conceptual framework of how, like in your head, of how does code work, how does scope work, how do all these parts interlink. So a lot of my advice usually for someone who's in that crisis state of, oh, I'm starting to fall behind, is, okay, you recognize you're starting to fall behind, just stay in my classroom, go over last week's work and this week's work, I'll be doing all my other stuff, I can provide extra assistance, but it's just like you've just got to fix up the last few weeks, otherwise you're trying to... You've got a rickety foundation, and if you could try and wobble on top of it and keep balance, or you mm. go back and fix it. Unfortunately, that does require more work, but mm. there's no there's no magic bullet there, especially with code. I'm a, as someone who struggled with it a lot as a student, I was not good. There's no magic bullet. There are things that can make it more efficient, but at the end of the day, you've just got to spend time. And some people, it takes longer than others. Like For me, it took a long time. And once I stopped seeing that as a problem and just a reality – that changed how I approached my problems and I found that worked a lot better because instead of me going, well, I've done my 10 hours of the week, mm. that's enough, going, well, did I actually understand it? No, okay, I've got to keep going until I understand this. I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. I would also say actually an- another thing they could do is definitely consult other resources. There's so much online material for code. Most yeah. tutors will know of good secondary resources. Any course I'm in, I'm often trying to fill the extra resources tab and the uh, course site with lots and lots of extra links yeah but just extra materials that's useful different ways of things being explained the problem is that once you've heard it explained one way listening to that exact same way be explained to you is not you're not intaking the information fresh your brain is going to go i've heard this i've heard this how does this help me mm. and you'll be listening through for a keyword or a key magic phrase rather than the whole body of the discussion 
Yeah. Whereas listening to the same concept explained by a different person in a different way, I find does a lot. But again, a lot of it is like, but then once you've listened to that, you then got to put in the time. Like yeah. codes a skill you get from getting your hands dirty for most people. There is a rare person who can just look at it. And that's not the majority Definitely of people. Not me. <laughs> I, I, it's not the majority of people. Even yeah. a lot of the people who are who do well in programming subjects are not doing well because they just magically got it. Yeah. A lot of them have spent time, and that's one of the fun things is getting to see someone who sings in the time improve and yeah. build their skills, build their understanding, and build their confidence. Yeah, totally. That's great to know that. Yeah, as a tutor, you'll probably have like a lot of ideas on what's out there. So you've you've done some some contract work and stuff outside yes. of teaching any suggestions on at what point you can start looking for those kind of opportunities and how to get into it it's tricky because the field's changing a lot so like i did a lot of wordpress work and there is still wordpress work but it's definitely worth less money than it used to be and you are competing now with a lot of people who have been doing it for a living as the amount of work is shrinking like to me it does Mm. feel like in tech i don't know if there's a correct perception but there's a perception to me that a lot of the lower level skill work Mm. the, the like entry level work is being consumed Mm, and that's been yeah. the case for a long time. Like I've got more automated tools to deal with that kind of stuff. Well, so more like you, there, plug used, and play. there used to be, if you go to the early mid two thousands, which is a little before my time, but not much. There used to be full time HTML CSS developers, yeah. not JavaScript. Yeah, just HTML CSS. Then those died. Um, not literally. <laughs> not literally, but figuratively. Those jobs. Yeah. Those jobs um, got subsumed in front end development. Yeah. And so those positions vanished, and part of that was also driven by stuff like. Your Dreamweaver front page, all of that mm-hmm. easy work vanished. Hell, even WordPress, uh, those CMS solutions were replacing something. They're an iteration that automated work meant a lot of those lower skill jobs vanished. It's not to say a student can't, but I would say you, the student nowadays, because a lot of our teaching is focused very much on getting you to an industry position, not one of those like, how do I put it? A lot of the freelancer work's pretty like lower skilled work. Since we're not targeting that, if you want to do that, you probably could do it by like mid-second year, but you'll need to do a bunch of self-study. Yeah. You need to do some self-study into WordPress or a similar CMS, but WordPress is probably the go-to. You need to understand how to do hosting. Generally, I would say you don't do your own hosting. You pay someone for it. Yeah. I've used a couple of services over the years. I won't name them here because I think that might be a bit weird. But that takes some time to learn. And because it's lower level, uh, lower skill work, doesn't tend to get taught as much at the uni. It's like, I didn't know how to do hosting. I had to figure that out at the end of my degree. Yeah. I think that's a very common pattern is a lot of people go, wait, how do I put this up? Yeah, definitely. That's a conversation I've had with some recent graduates as mm. well as just, it's not a huge learning curve, but there's that little bit of a step to yeah. just kind of, I guess, round off some of those Missing general knowledge type things. It's one of the reasons I often encourage students, if they want to work in field, they shouldn't use the uni stuff as the be-all end-all. They should be using it as a stepping stone and supplementing of extra material. Yeah. I really heavily push for the higher the students who are handling the workload well to go do extra material. I really encourage people over the summer to do extra material. I encourage mm-hmm. people, well, find out what courses are going to take. Find an online course that teaches a similar material. Go through that first. That way you will have the way it covers the material and what it prioritizes and what the uni prioritizes. Those won't always be the same thing. It's not one... It's not inherently that one is better or worse. They have different priorities. Mm. Collectively, they will cover most of the gaps in that area, though. And you know, the whole reason you're at uni is to become a self-motivated learner. To me, that means you should be trying to build that self-motivated learning skill. Don't wait for courses to just give you it. 
Yeah. You yeah. Use us to make sure that you haven't missed gaps. Don't use us as a be-all, end-all solution. Yeah, and make sure you are actually engaging in the content and going yes. that step further because realistically that's what's going to give you the edge. Yeah. Hundreds of people graduate every year with mm. – with an IT degree, what's going to give you that little bit yeah. more? And, and again, also like the different schools have different strengths. Like one of the things I often think in most parts of life is you've got to look at what is your competitive edge. Different mm. unions have different competitive edges. Mm. One of Griffiths is that because of the trimester model, you finish second trimester pretty early. You are done with your, if you're only doing trimesters, two trimesters a year, you're done actually very early in the year compared to say a UQ. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, and that extra time should be used. We also, I don't think this was intentional, but we have a large number of industry tutors. Yeah, okay. Yep. I don't know how that's happened, uh, but Alan's got industry experience, I've got industry experience, Dylan's got industry experience, Richard's got industry experience, I believe Linda has industry experience. Huge number of our tutors have industry experience. That's stuff you can tap into. Mm, um, yeah. You can tap into that for what should I study next or what areas are this, is the uni not covering that I should, if I want to be in this specific role, what extra should I be doing? Yeah, how so, does this align to the outside world? Yeah, how does it align to the outside world? Because yeah. also, obviously, courses aren't constantly updated every year. Yeah. Yeah, that's just yeah. the reality of them. Absolutely. And so being able to say, oh, this course is pretty good, but it misses this thing, you should then go do that. So you have you did the IT and you did the multimedia, which covers a, quite a broad range yes. of topics and technologies and whatnot. Mm. What's kind of the space that's really your passion? So I have always enjoyed building, like, lots of little tools. I've always enjoyed building... Um, Ever since I took educational multimedia at Griffith, I love that subject. Um, I found that really exciting. We got to do a lot of web tools for teaching for the old project management course as well as part of my third year project. So I built a lot of material there that I really enjoyed. Unfortunately, where I ended up working was pretty... One of the reasons I came back to work was I got kind of bored of just building hundreds of websites. But yeah. that's why I ended up. I now am quite passionate about how we teach better to the students. I spend a lot of time trying to develop students. Whenever I'm not active staff, I have personally mentored students. I often said to people, when we, we get them in creative coding, sometimes I make a yin-yang. And I often say to people, I don't need 400 yin-yang programs in my life. This is not for me. Yeah. You're not building this so I can use it. You're building this so the act of building it is building the problem-solving skills that you need. Yeah, it's it a really is, good point. Yeah, it's, I'm not after 400 yin-yang programs or 400 basic websites. I'm after 400 students to have done the learning processes that build that thing and if people try and circumvent that yeah. uh they're just screwing themselves really badly long that's term. it yeah it's not about the solution it's about the process really yeah. like yeah, yeah and as someone who struggled a lot like for me that struggle is what how i figured it out it wasn't me reading a lot of code it was a lot of pain blood and tears yeah yeah what would you say is kind of the biggest misconception that students have when it comes to how they perceive their tutors? They often think we have a lot more power than we do, I often find. They often think that we are more than what they see when it's we come into the room, we're there to teach you the content and give support. That's that's it. Yeah. Like, I mark, but I don't have – I'm not involved in the appeals process. I'm not involved in extensions. We have a pretty focused job role. Yeah. So I think there's a common misconception. It doesn't mean we aren't trying to – I often tell people where they need to go and who they need to talk to. We're a very good point of contact for that because we often know, oh, you want extensions, you need to talk to this person. Oh, you're looking for that. Well, actually, there's a service for that that Griffith offers that's here. We're often a good routing point. Mm. But I do think some people misunderstand how much influence and power we have. Uh, I think also some people misunderstand 
there is a misunderstanding of the kind of job it is because you often get, at least I often get in my CTs, people who come out like, oh, get a promotion. It's like, this isn't a job with a promotion track. Yeah. You're not a tutor for a promotion. Um, you're doing tutoring because you like it. Like I've been explaining to my students, I'm taking a massive pay cut. Like I could be working in industry still. I could be freelancing yeah. still. Um, and I could make a lot of money. I made, um, toward just before 2020, I made about 4K in about a week. Oh, wow. That yeah. would be nice. Yeah, it was good. I, <laughs> I'd gone very, very efficient at building pretty standard websites and pretty good at finding clients, getting them into rooms, helping identify their clients because all the clients are usually pretty similar. Yeah. Identifying what things they needed and what they didn't, building it really quickly, build them, end of the week done. Yeah. Um, freelancers have the disadvantages. Sometimes you do get dry spells, though. So, like, yeah. for every time I had those weeks where I'm like, oh, my God, if I could do this every week, I'd be making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You'd have a month where it's like I made $200. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that is the challenge. Yeah, yeah. but that, that, those dry months were getting pretty rare by the end. So, yeah, you know, the, I don't think there's an understanding that at least in the tech school, the tutors, the tutors if they're not tr- academics and training, yeah. are there because they want to teach. Yeah. Because otherwise they would just be in industry still making way more money. Yeah. And not having to answer the emails late at night. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a labour of love there. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's a challenge that you've had to overcome in your career? First of all, actually, let's go to the student beforehand. Student, then freelancer, then Yep, let's do that. Yep. So student, as I mentioned, I was not very good at code. Um, to put that into numbers, I got a four in my first coding subject. I was going to fail my second, so I pulled out. I've yep. checked my transcript since, so I've misremembered something, is I came back a second time and only fought it again. Then the year afterwards, I had gotten very, like, I was sick of being bad at programming. Because it let you do cool things, and I just didn't get it. And I'd done a TAFE diploma before I came to uni as well. So I'd been exposed to this stuff a lot, and I was so sick of every coding subject being hell. I was so sick of the fact that I couldn't make cool things happen. Or if I could, they were fragile and they broke easily, and I was just really frustrated with that because I was like, this looks cool, this looks really fun. Everyone else around me who seems to understand it can do all this amazing stuff, whereas Mm. I'm fighting the basics tooth and nail. I'm just suffering it. And it always was like, oh, I'm not doing that badly till week six or eight, where, you know, the complexity starts going up. The year I had web programming, dynamic multimedia, which would be equivalent of 2702 now, pretty similar material. That year, I just set myself a rule of I was going to spend however long it took to get the workshop content, regardless of if that was a reasonable number, because I was sick of being bad at this. Yeah. Uh, that worked, but it did involve some long hours. There were weeks I would spend 20 hours in a workshop. So I'll get it to the working point, but I'm like, this doesn't, this works, but I don't understand what mm. I. Like you couldn't do it again without. Well, I could do that problem again, but yeah. I didn't. I, I, was like, I haven't pulled out what this was meant to teach me. Yeah. I've managed to brute force my way from slapping stuff from the lectures together and kind of understanding. Mm. So I'd spend more time sinking into it, just trying to understand what I'm doing. My coding grades generally went up. Again, I came back to do systems programming. Like, I got comfortable with code by the end. Yeah. Um, but it was from stubbornness. It was from just a, I'm sick of being bad at this. It lets you do cool things. I'm not a particularly computer science person. I got into multimedia because I liked Photoshop and Illustrator. Yeah, fair. Yeah, so That's not cool. the coding. I had done a little bit of HTML and CSS in high school with our Cert Free and Multimedia. And then I'd done a TAFE diploma in authoring and web. Yeah. So I done like lots of little bits of code, pretty basic code. And what about kind of that next step? So yeah, students. So students. Got... So for freelancing, my challenges as a freelancer were. So I worked on the Blind Australian of the Year website. Okay. I helped build that uh, a couple of years ago for Blind Alliance. That's cool. Um, 
and I knew all of the accessibility stuff you're meant to do, mm. but there's a difference between knowing it and implementing it where you have a real person who's going to test it and give mm. you feedback. So again, we're freelancer. You're working alone. You don't have large testing teams. But my clients were blind uh, in that spectrum range. So some couldn't see at all. Some could see but not very well. Most of them could see but not very well. And that really – that was a fascinating project mm. because that really caught me on a lot of – so many little things you can do that makes their lives dramatically easier. And they're not hard things. Like I think there's a perception that a lot of the accessibility and web stuff is difficult. And mm-hmm. a lot of it's not difficult, but it is a set of rules you need to follow. You do need to use your ARIA roles to indicate what things are for. You do need to check that tab navigation works the way you intend. Um, but forms, forms were really challenging in ways I had not expected. Again, this is not the world's most complex code problem, but from a design perspective, I found it really challenge a lot of things where I got given simplified explanations at uni and mm. at TAFE and by other freelancers who hadn't worked with actual blind people and when it's on the ground doing it there's just a lot of it wasn't very hard but it was just a lot of stuff there just was vaguely aware of but because I was vaguely aware I wasn't doing it great yeah it's one of the reasons I tend to try and wherever I can push that now because I've seen how low effort on our end that is for such a huge return and quality of life for them it already takes longer for them rather than making it unnecessarily more painful. So I found that was a really good learning experience challenge. Again, it wasn't the most technical challenge, but it was a very like eye-opening mm. challenge. I, I really valued that work. Um, that that project did not charge them much for because I was learning a lot. Yeah, that's incredible though. Yeah, yeah it's really to, interesting. To actually be able to do it. Because, yeah, you're right. We do at a very high level learn a bunch of like, you know, accessibility is important and when you design things, it's important yeah. and stuff. But, yeah, to actually put it into practice, practice. is a different, And I, and I really thing. would love to see more of that at the uni because it's not technically difficult. Mm. It is just a little time-consuming. Mm. Yeah. So then we have as a tutor. Yes. So as a tutor, a lot of my challenges have more often been trying to get student um, engagement. I usually have higher engagement than a lot of staff from what I have seen. Yeah, you have a good rep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am aware I have one. I'm aware I have a rep. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of that engagement is driven by how I speak. I intentionally speak slightly odd. I intentionally, because uh, there's a lot of pick, uh, tricks I picked up from several streamers and YouTubers I watch over the years. That's all about how do you keep interest. And one of the things is don't just say things the obvious way, say things slightly off. So, like, uh, in one case, when I was explaining my job role as a tutor, regardless my convener, instead of saying, well, so Gervais is my boss. I said, my my role is merely to implement the convener's will. It's silly. It's strange. It makes you go, wait, what? But it yeah. re-engages because they go, they go, wait, that was a weird, oh, and it gets a little laugh and it gets engagement. So there's a lot of thinking about ways about how I structure my speech to intentionally play up a little bit of the weirdness. Again, I'm also autistic. I've always screwed up idioms anyhow, so leaning into that to some degree. Um, leaning into the fact that I have ADD to sometimes lose my I will lose my train of thought and then leverage that they go okay where I've lost my train of thought again everyone where were we yeah so students who want to learn are very easy to help because mm. I will spend however long a damn day uh, takes I'll spend a long time in teams explaining how something works using visualizers which I would always recommend to anyone who's doing coding teaching you should use visualizers they're one of the best teaching tools I've ever seen I don't know why I didn't see them as a student everyone should be mm. using them because those tools will be like you write code and you can step by step through it line by line by line and it will show on the side. Yeah. Uh, everything that's in memory, every variable, 
and it will visualize how they're linked. It will have arrows pointing to this function is now being called from here. Oh, that's cool. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. I wish my, I'd um, seen that as well. That's Yeah, my, my partner found uh, one years ago and showed me, and I've been using them wherever I can since. So I'm not too worried about – I'll spend the time it takes to help a student understand. Um, I will give them side problems. So if a student's really stuck on loops and say they're trying to do a nested loop, mm. I will often then go, well, first of all, Let's take, say, a nested loop example from the slides or somewhere. Let's put that in the visualizer and click through it step by step by step by step. See what each part of it's doing. Make sure, Obviously, this is to be clear, after checking they've looked at the material. Yeah. Like, first thing you do is you make sure they've actually looked at the material. You direct them to material. If they Then tell them to come back in about you know 10 minutes if they're still stuck. Yeah. You don't just first try go, oh, well, now let's do some personal tutoring session, basically, over Teams. Mm. Um, but then also going, ah, oh, Trying to find out which part of it's confusing them. Don't just go, they don't understand loops. Which part of the loop is confusing them? Is it the syntax? Okay, well, then we can make a heuristic, uh, a simplified explanation for, uh, like a rule of thumb for this bit does this. This bit is always going to be less than array.length if you're doing it for an array. You don't understand that bit, but that bit you can just, is pretty consistent. So you could just say, always put i is less than the array.length. Just write that down in your notes mm. as a sort of hand heuristic. But then often it's, abstraction. If it's an abstraction problem, you need to get into console.log. You might get them to write a much simpler loop. One of my go-tos is often, you're trying to solve this very complex problem, and you don't yet have the skills to break it down. Mm. I'm not going to break down the whole thing for you, but here is the first step broken down. Yeah. Here is, you're doing a nested loop of an of a array of arrays. Do you actually understand how a loop of one array works? No. Okay, so yeah, now we need to go, here's an array with A, B, C, D. Here is the starting structure of a loop, but, you know, like four parentheses, nothing in it, though, curly brackets, nothing in it. What would I do to loop this? So this is much smaller mm. and much easier on here. There is only four possible things. And that's usually helpful because the students are overloaded. Mm. Uh, but the really difficult ones are often the ones who leave everything to the last minute. Yeah. And, again, unfortunately, my whole style is spending time. I, turn t- I try and make their time higher value. My whole style is spending time with the students, trying to explain, trying to help them build good habits. I'm not great when they're in crisis, I feel, compared to some people, because I still go through that process. Mm. Um, it does take time. Yeah, it, it just takes time. We're nearly at the end of our time, so yes. a, as a quick wrap-up, what's the number one takeaway from our conversation today? Uh, oh, God, thinking quickly on my feet, not my strong point. <laughs> <laughs> at least for the student listeners, it really is. You, There is no quick solution. Time is the best tool you have. If you are struggling with material, it does not mean that it is inherently something you can't get. It just means it will take you longer. If something takes you twice as long as someone else, that just means it takes you twice as long as someone else. That doesn't have any inherent value or judgment to it. It only has the judgment if you apply that judgment. Uh, I often say, I'm, a, I'm a, especially compared to everyone else at a uni, I'm a very slow learner. I often need to collect my thoughts. I speak very quickly. But I often, I can think deeply, but it takes time. I often need to take breaks. I often need to have time away from the problem. And that's also true for a large chunk of our student base. They need to work out good habits and good structures to work how their brain is now, not how it will be. Yeah. Like eventually it'll be, they'll be able to do all this. But yeah. a lot of that is also just learning processes that work for you and then remove opportunities for you to make horrible decisions yeah awesome well thank you so much for your insight it's great to hear from you as a tutor and to yeah get a little bit of perspective from your side of of the fence there 
Thank you very much. Not a problem. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the School of ICT Conversation Bites podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it around and we would love to hear your feedback. Do you have any burning questions? Who should we interview next? Let us know through the link in the description.